0: Welcome to the Fratello Podcast, brought to you by members from Fratello Watches. I'm Mike Stockton, coming to you from Frankfurt, Germany.
1: And I'm Robert Jambour, coming to you from The Hague in the Netherlands.
0: Welcome back, Robert John. We have been awfully uh, irresponsible on our commitment to podcast more often during the times of coronavirus. Yes, we?
1: it was exactly a month ago, I think. Yeah, and it was not even with you; it was with Tim Stracker from Chrono Twenty Four. The episode.
0: I know. I feel left out, but um, I think I was what we were, we did ours together like a week before that. So we. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. We had like two very quickly, and then it's been a while, but. I don't know about you, but um, obviously we're still in the midst of of kind of a very weird period here. And time has gone, at least for me, quite slowly on a day-to-day basis. But when I look back over the last several weeks, it's kind of gone by much faster. In a way, it's just sort of been a weird blur. I don't know how you feel.
1: Yeah, a bit of the same. It's... Um yeah normal office work for me basically, and uh, normally i 'm traveling uh, much more yeah um like almost on a weekly basis and that stopped suddenly uh on March twelfth i think was my last trip yeah. and um yeah, so it 's awkward so it 's like you i 'm either in the office or i am working from home and um it's strange times uh they 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 tend to move a bit slow, but on the other hand, we do a lot of stuff on the on the on the on the background write a lot of articles. We are working on a lot of things with the shop, with some uh, enhancements on the website and so on. So uh, if I look back, it's a a bit of a blur basically. And I'm not used to being uh, at home and in the office so much.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I was uh, talking to a colleague of mine and we travel a lot together and we were looking at our or miles, uh, accounts so far this year. And I mean, I took an international trip before all this started, but <laughs> very, very different than the last four or five years. And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I have some trips planned for call it mid summer and in the fall. And let's see if those happen. I mean, I think things are kind of currently pointing towards, a yes, but you know, one country could say, okay. And the one you're living in could could say no. So let's see, let's see.
1: Yeah. I did some good things with my uh, miles because I can't spend them anyway, because nothing is flying and I missed my platinum status because of the canceled flights. And uh, I was left with a lot of uh, miles. So I cashed them and uh, for vouchers, and, and those vouchers <laughs> I spent on two RC cars.
0: Yes. Very and the well annoying done.
1: thing was the vouchers were 10 euro each and the voucher came with a code and a pin code. So I had to put those two codes in a lot of times to get these two RC cars.
0: So you had to work for it.
1: Yeah, that's did, true.
0: Did they send you the vouchers by mail and each one in a separate envelope?
1: Yes. So they, no, they only sent it by mail, by email. And uh, each voucher was a separate email. And when I had to uh, uh, recuperate, how do you say, recoup the the vouchers, I had to put in the code and then a a pop-up window would be there asking me for the pin code. And I had to do that like uh, 35 times. Wow. Well. But it was worth it. I have two beautiful Porsche 911s now. Nice. In my living room. Nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we've been very busy in these 5 weeks with the RC stuff. I mean, I'll run down what I've I've kind of been doing and what's what's coming next, but um You're you at 8 cars or something something crazy like that. I think when um when we last spoke, I had finished the Tomahawk and I was um working on the Avante, which I finished. And then I kind of went into the world of similar behavior to watches. I went online and I found a discontinued kit, although recently dis- discontinued of the Tamiya egress re-release or re-re as they're known. And um, yeah, I paid a little bit of a premium for it. I, I bought it from the UK and um, yeah, in Germany, the streets can be kind of long names and they use Parcel Pro over in the UK. And basically it's like a service that prints out a label and it cut off my house number So (laughs) the package never got here and I had to go drive, um, during lunch one day to uh, GLS over by Frankfurt airport, which was sort of like a weird experience going by the airport. And, um, anyhow, I got that and I built it, which was both of those were just awesome kits. They're, they're both very heavily related, kind of like in the way, uh, you know, a couple Rolex sports watches would be related. And then, um. And then I finished off a Schumacher Topcat, another re-release, which was. Which sounds German, but it's English. Yeah, it's English, and uh, you're right. And that, and what's interesting there, and some watch people will like this. The uh, the founder of Schumacher, Cecil or Cecil Schumacher, um, was an ex uh, Cosworth engineer, and apparently a lot of the Cosworth guys in the '70s drove their. Uh, remote control cars all the time on the uh, helicopter pad there and the cars were skidding out all the time so he invented the uh ball differential that's in all rc cars today or anyone's with a ball with a differential and yeah he put that into cars and they were pretty competitive i guess against like the rc tens and stuff but that was a really really different kit very different than the japanese and i have to tell you it was it was a lot of fun but um I'm working on a Kyosho Turbo Optima right now and it's kind of nice to get my confidence back with uh something that um is pretty darn straightforward. So yeah, but but we're 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 fully emerged in this hobby now and um I tell you yeah. what
1: I can perhaps I can put the video online later on, but both Gerard and Bert were in the office today as well and both brought their RC cars. <laughs> and they build a ramp and they were doing jumps in our office. Gera <laughs> uh, drives this Traxxas car which is not a kit but uh, like a uh, off the shelf but he he ready to run. did some RTR. Ready to yeah, ready to run and he did some uh, tuning or hop-ups as they say in RC land. And uh, Bert brought his Lancia HF uh, uh or Delta HF Integrale. Oh yeah. Um kit which was quite nice i have to say um looks amazing one of the porsches that i bought has the same um, uh, chassis and um yeah look nice I've, i'm looking forward to build that one as well it's cool
0: yeah so if any of you go down the uh the dark path that we've gone on this uh, rc adventure on cars like that with a lot of decals we learned a wise lesson to use a hair dryer to help uh yeah spread them and move them around and get rid of bubbles and things like that so
1: yeah that was good luck that Bert already had one for his mullet, but uh, now he can also use it for his RC cars, which is good. <laughs> so, enough so, yeah. RC cars. If you want to follow our adventures there, go to Instagram and follow Fratello Racing.
0: Absolutely, and uh, you see our you see our cars pop into the Fratello feed or our own feeds, and sometimes some stories as well. I'm I'm having fun using them as backgrounds while making sure not to get the watch near the. Uh, the magnet on the electric motor so it's uh but they're they're cool so yeah anyhow so let, let's move on to the controller. Controller.
1: so you start what's on your start. handgelenk today i will
0: so today is a tuesday and uh i'm appropriately wearing a speedmaster i have on the watch that started it all for me at least in speedmaster land and for Fertella watches. Cause this was the watch that I, that I first wrote about. And that is the Speedmaster Tintin, um, a watch wow. that, uh, yeah, I think what year was that, that, that debuted? Was it 2012, 13, 13. Okay. Yeah. So I still remember yeah, cool. seeing it for the first time on the kind of, it was like in a side display on the massive Basel world Omega booth. And it was kind of like sitting there a little bit lonely, but I, but I liked it in person. Um, Far more so than I did on the typical like um, renders that, that Omega puts on their site, which sometimes you know look a lot different than, than the watch in person. And yeah. I had toyed for a long time um, with buying a Speedmaster. I kind of thought I, I needed one in my collection, um, just an iconic watch. And I was really going to go just with a basic black moon watch. And I went into uh, a shop and I, I saw the Tintin again. And it sort of re-sparked my interest in it. And I think this watch actually came from um, Alon at Ace Jewelers. So he he sent it to me. And then I reached out to you, RJ, um, because you'd done, of course, an intro on it, written that controversial article about, you know, the original Rocket uh, dial or hand. And uh, I asked you if I could could just do a little article on it, and I, I did a guest article on it, and and yes, and and then away we were. And and I think this is a really cool watch that sort of gained in popularity over the last few years, especially as people started to um, realize it's kind of like a, a bit of a racing type watch, and also that the dial, the 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 red and white checkerboard, is is kind of artfully done. And not absolutely perfect, which is kind of a neat thing these days. Um, you've had all kinds of theories about how many were made and and we actually have kind of a, an idea about that. And we won't, we won't talk too too in deep about it, but needless to say, there, there are not that many out there actually. So it's a cool watch. I think it's, it's one that you need to see if, if you've ever thought about it, but it's sort of bright and fun, but also subtle enough to be to be worn regularly and i and i put it on the um forstner uh sort of jb champion band that i ended up buying when i was over in the us and i i think it looks cool so really good watch nice yeah
1: cool Um uh, i have uh, that same watch because i remember you reaching out and i introduced you to Alon from uh, ace com, and uh, i didn't pull the Trigger back then because I was not too convinced about the watch itself. I liked the story, and we broke the story in 2013 um, on the day it was introduced. Um, we saw a, a, a press release on an the embargo, and it said Speedmaster Racing. And during our first appointment in uh, in Basel with Omega, we said, "Well, what's the real story about the watch?" But this is a bit of a strange racing, racing dial. And then they uh, they told us about uh, the the watch and uh, the story with herge the um author of uh, of uh, tintin or kuifje as we call him here and uh, and the rocket the rocket on the dial and um yeah we broke story on on uh, on fortello and uh, not much later we nicked it um uh, tintin and that was uh i think that uh, that has been used ever since by uh, by many people and uh, it's a cool watch and at first i i liked it but i didn't yeah I I didn't buy it somehow and uh, you bought it and I think some others bought it and then I was in Japan for uh, Grand Seiko um, in 2017 and uh, with some readers we invited 10 readers to join us on this trip to uh, Grand Seiko and um, there I saw it uh, at uh, the big camera shop Um, it's grey market but uh, apparently they were dumped uh, over there and um I asked the guy to, to get it out of the display for me, and he referred to it as the Schumacher racing watch. <laughs> and there I was, said, yeah, bro. whatever. And, <laughs> and then he told me I, I would get discount because he, apparently he noticed that I was not from Japan somehow. And um, if I showed my passport and if I paid with a credit card, and that was what surprised me a bit, I would get even additional discount yeah so normally it's the other way around well at least in europe i guess yeah. if you pay cash you get more discount than by card but there it was the other way around and so i ended up with the tint and i think i paid like 2200 euro or something yeah in steep. um 2017 and um i left the box there and uh, well i actually gave it to a speedmaster collector that i met there um i left it at the reception desk for him and uh, he picked it up and i i ordered a new box and i uh yeah, took the papers with me, of course. Um, but yeah, so it's a cool watch. And I am wearing uh, it on a red leather strap from GLC, uh, a racing strap. And that strap comes from the leather from the Mercedes SL 190, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Oh, So cool. they, they yeah. took the
1: interior apart from that Benz and uh, made straps uh, of it. Um, so yeah, cool pick. Um, yeah, as it is a Speedy Tuesday, um, I'm actually double wristing and mm. it doesn't happen too often although today uh, I had some other watches in for review that I also wore but on my left wrist is the the moonshine that I uh, often wear I have to uh, I have to say also if you follow me on uh, on Instagram you will see that I often put pictures out there of this uh, this moonshine because I really uh, really love it on my right hand is uh, something uh, that I just unboxed it's a janus um avisos we reviewed Gerard reviewed it uh, a while ago on on Fertello it's a diver's watch from uh, this guy Jacob from uh, from Greece Mm -hmm. and um, yeah from first moment on it's a very very interesting watch and it's unlike any other watch that I have and I will put a picture of it uh, online in the in the show notes of this uh, of this podcast I have the version with the blue dial and has a blue leather strap comes also with a with a, like a rubber NATO strap. It's a cool package, and he's a very nice guy, and I think he did a very nice job in uh, designing and constructing this uh, this diver's watch. It has a hand wound movement, movement, uh, ETA 7001, I think. And, um, yeah, it has some really cool design features. And our friend uh, Jason Heaton from Hodinkee did a very cool write-up on one as well, um, I think a year ago or something.
0: Yeah, it's a neat, it's so, a double very, wristing. very, yeah, <laughs> Diego Maradona, but, uh, yeah, it's a very, uh, very different looking watch and I like it. I mean, I, it, it's not that hard or not that easy, I should say, to come up with a, a new take on a, on a dive watch that, that, um, is intriguing and, um, yeah that gets that gets a lot of good uh press but this one i think was really well received when when we did the article yep. and it's cool that you got it i like that it's hand-wound mm-hmm. i think it's just a really neat um neat feature so good good
1: yeah cool so, so that, far for the hand controller we will t- uh, put some pictures on the on the website
0: yeah and and today we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about um honestly we're just gonna go through uh our top couple picks uh Per person on, on the watches and wonders uh, that that just took place online, and then we're going to talk a little bit about um, Breitling, and talk a little bit about what they released recently, and maybe RJ just uh, talk to us about the format that that watches and wonders used here, because obviously with the the COVID thing going on, they had to shift gears a bit, but. Talk to, talk to us a little yeah. bit about what they did and what your thoughts were
1: yeah I, I will um, we just did a video with the guys from uh, from Chrono24 uh, it's on their YouTube channel where we also discussed this in in uh, in length I have to say it was a two hour recording um, but I have to say that I was looking forward to both Basel World and Watches and Wonders but apparently of course uh, both got, uh, got cancelled um, for uh, obvious reasons Um, watches and wonders they uh, shifted gear a bit indeed like you say they went from a a traditional show to an online show and i have to say uh, they did a very nice job in in doing so in 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 the short time they basically had to make everything available digital to post interviews introductions um, put it all together i would have perhaps expected a bit that you would Walk around at the Palexpo in in Geneva, where the show normally is hosted. Where you, then you could click a booth or something and see the watches. But perhaps that was a bit too much to uh, to to arrange in that short uh, time. Um, so they made everything available for us press um, a day in advance. And some some brands they they uh, they shoot us some stuff under embargo before uh, Cartier. They sent us some watches. But in the end, for me. Uh, without going into detail about the watches, because we will do our picks later on. For me, this watches and wonders is the, the the proof that we really need a normal yeah. trade show or event. Something because yeah. um, writing articles based on press releases only is not my forte. I don't like it. If I, if if this would be the case, I would do something else. To be honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I didn't feel involved. Uh, although it's not the fault of the brands because they really they called us, they emailed us, they they kept us up to date of what was happening. But if you are not there, if you're not trying the watches, looking at the watches, feeling the watches, and also very important, talking to the people uh, from these brands that either designed the watch or constructed the watch or the CEOs or the the, the PR people. You you are a bit disconnected with yeah. yeah with the watch and then it becomes very dry material it's and really... um, you're basically yeah, rehashing that's... a pre- either rehashing a press release or basing an opinion on yeah Something stuff you that you saw seen. on your screen yeah, yeah. it's and hard I think to get power...
0: emotionally it's hard to get emotionally attached to anything um, yeah. just based on pictures and it it also becomes far easier I would say to um, to get uh, pessimistic about pricing, which we know that Watches and Wonders tends to feature higher priced watches, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah.
1: yeah. What I felt is um, if you do it like in a format like this, I think it's key. And that's also in hindsight. I mean, I, I don't have uh, all the wisdom in advance uh, as well, but in hindsight, I would say that Lange und sohne did a really nice job because they only focused on two watches. And perhaps also Gégé Le lecoultre or Jégé le lecoultre They only focus on the Master Control series, while a brand like Cartier, they just tossed everything over the fence. Mm. And there were pretty nice watches in uh, a bit among them, but um, it's very difficult to, to yeah, di- um, extract them from all the digital files and things you see from a brand like that to, to remember them. And I think that was very strong with Lange and sohne that they. Only did two watches, and to be honest, those are the watches that I remember the best.
0: Yeah, it, it, I mean, I I think, um, and it'll come up in my picks, but um, you know, I did the write up on the bulk of the the Panerai that were released, and I actually really like the watches. I mean, I know there were some some complaints about Panerai's headlong. Uh, dive into kind of exotic materials. And and of course the pricing reflects that, but my only, my only beef was, um, you know, there were five or six watches that I wrote up kind of small blurbs on each. And really when you see five watches that are of the same family, same diameter, all using the same movement, and you're really talking about a material difference or a dial color difference, to your point, it does become very hard to Separate um, and and really come up with some some thoughts on these watches and and I think um, especially for a company like Panerai where they're sort of like Rolex in a way they have a very strong identity in terms of their design so Mm -hmm. you know the little differences are key and therefore not seeing them in person or feeling the weight or the surface of whatever this uh, exotic material they're using does make it really hard to to put some emotion forward. And and because of it, I think you do end up getting some, some comments. Oh, that's a lot of money. And, you know, it's very different for Panerai. We're not sure where they're going. Well, if we'd seen them in person, I think, um, I know I would have been able to write a, a slightly different story and and we'll get there and, and we will. It's just, um, yeah, when you, when you take a company that works really hard on creating new product between manufacturing and marketing and all the different um, folks involved it kind of it's it's tough when basically a digital release is what you have to do
1: yeah true and um i spoke to the ceo of um panerai uh on the monday after the watches and wonders weekend it was a very nice talk very nice guy very uh, passionate about uh, what he uh, what he does and um that gave me a better understanding that they're really moving forward in terms of materials and um um, construction and uh, finishing and um they really want to be uh, innovative and yeah. um i think the new new watches show and um I also asked him about the the heritage that they had have because they have quite a bit of heritage and they did some some pieces in the past that 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 look back on the the original models from the thirties and forties yeah. and they are now apparently working on their archives together like a proper um documentation on it and i guess that will uh result in some yeah some some new re-editions of pieces from the past but what we've seen now although the cases are typical typically panerai cases of course they were quite innovative and and, uh, some new materials and that yeah that yeah that um spoke to me i have to say
0: yeah and i and i think uh, i mean i don't know you know, a lot of a lot of companies use things like carbon and and some funky things like that. They rest upon you know sailing technology or Formula One, which totally fine. Um, I think the uh, what I like about the Panerai and and I know that um, different people have different thoughts about you know their design, their size, everything. But I've I've always really liked their their simple looks and the um, just kind of their strong just just how they come off as a as a very strong looking watch um, yeah they've integrated these materials pretty well to still look uh, look classy because sometimes I find those types of materials look a little bit um, i don't know faddish you know they just look a little bit um, yeah too I, much now in the now yeah um, and I could i yeah. could name some other recent models that went that direction I won't but um, but these these i think actually look like they could um they, they they could last and, and look good in 10, 15 years. So, but let's why don't why don't you kick us off with um, with your first pick, RJ? Yeah. So although
1: there are a couple of watches that I that I liked, um, um, like the Fascheron Constantin, the overseas uh, in gold, which was not really a new model, but the bracelet uh, was new to it, or the the, the mentioned uh, Master Control, and especially the a chronograph calendar. That I think that one was the the best of the bunch. The two picks that I have are different. The two picks, uh, one is uh, Lange und Söhne that we covered in the Sunday Morning Showdown article. It's the Zeitwerk. Um, Although I get the Odysseus and uh, I had an interview with uh, Anthony De Haas, a Dutch guy who is the head of product development at uh, Lange und Söhne. He explained it uh, in in, in detail uh, to me. Um, The style is just not mine. Um, so I prefer the Zeitwerk over the two Langes, and the Zeitwerk is actually my pick of the of the Watches and Wonders, my first pick. Um, I really love the Zeitwerk, um, although it's a very uh, different watch to the Lange 1, Lange 1, that they are very known for. Um, yeah, the Zeitwerk is also a typical Lange. I really like the design, I like the, the displays, the digital uh, displays. And um, yeah, for me, that's simply a, a stunner and it's completely out of reach. I think it's somewhere around 450,000 euros, only 30 pieces. So that will never happen. But I really like that uh, that watch and um, it's, a, it's a stunning piece. Yeah. Uh, my other pick would be uh, a Panerai, basically. Uh, and it's the uh, one in gold mm-hmm. that gold you track. also... Um, yeah. um, wrote about in your articles uh, article is the gold tech um and what i like about it i like the lumino marina cases a lot um but what i like that it's uh, a gold case with a blue dial and to me that that combination is just stunning yeah it's really really nice and they use this gold tech material um, which means it is um, um resistant to uh, to tarnish normally um rose gold um yeah it becomes a bit more yellowish again after time and with this gold tech um alloy it will remain this this to have this uh this uh, rose gold tone
0: hmm. yeah i i uh i kind of mentioned that that was my favorite one in the article i actually didn't pick it i picked a different panerai strangely but um I think it looks stunning with the with the blue dial and that that rosish gold as well. It, it it actually brings me back to um, I think I mentioned this. Jeez, I was in uh, might have been in like right around two thousand. You know when Panerai was just, or maybe two thousand one or so, Panerai was just absolutely untouchable. You just couldn't find them. And um, I think I mentioned they didn't it.
1: even get to the displays. They were just sold out immediately.
0: Yeah, and and. I was with my parents and we went on a cruise and, um, we stopped in, uh, the Bahamas and we went to the Atlantis hotel in, uh, right there in Nassau. And there's a, uh, I think there was a John bull, uh, boutique there. There's one downtown and there was one in the hotel and they actually had a pretty good selection. They had a, they had a radio mirror in gold and the watch that I liked, um, and I ended up buying a, the black dialed version, but they had a, um, 40 millimeter Luminor with a titanium case and blue dial. And this kind of reminds me of that blue dial. And I always thought Panerai did a really cool blue dial before blue was cool. So this was um, this was a, a nice reminder of that. And I think it's a stunning watch. And, and actually, like if I look up, um, what was interesting about this watch is that it retails for 22,900 euros and um they have some non precious metal releases from this year made of some advanced materials and things that were up in the 19,000 range. So, I don't know. If I were kind of going to go 19,000, granted gold looks a heck of a lot different than a gray or black you know, advanced material, I think I'd spring the extra 3900 euros and go for the gold.
1: But yeah. I agree. The gold looks really good. And recently I asked on our Instagram uh, what people think of uh, gold sports watches. And I will dedicate an article to it and use some of the feedback that we received. But I have to say it looks really good on the Panerai. It looks super nice. And um, yeah, with regards to the use of gold in a sports watch, watch, I would say, why not? It looks good. And um, perhaps it's even better to use a gold watch in the sea than a steel one for the corrosion.
0: Yeah, I mean it's good to use gold for everything, frankly. Do that. So cool, cool. Well, I I picked um, one very different watch and one that's kind of similar to yours. And and by the way, the other the other two that were sort of on my short list, but but I won't go into any detail. Were the uh, Montblanc eighteen fifty eight mono pusher chrono. I really like the look of it, um, and I thought they they look really nice and. The limited bronze edition and and the steel edition, um, and then the other one was was kind of you mentioned uh, Vacheron. I like the uh, fifty six calendar with the uh, sepia dial, and so it was a really pretty watch. Um, also, kind of in a rose gold case as well. So, but but those weren't uh, those weren't the uh, the two I'd go into detail with. The first one was a real oddball, and I'm not a hot. Horology type uh, person. I mean, that's just not my wheelhouse. I don't um, have a ton of knowledge around a lot of those brands. But you know, if there's one company, I think that makes watches consistently that sort of uh, appeal to me all the time, um, it's Laurent Ferrier, and they debuted a uh, Turbion Grand Sport in steel with an integrated bracelet, I guess this follows up a, a, uh, a model that was on a strap before. And this watch has a, uh, as mentioned, a tourbillon inside, but the, the looks are kind of like, you know, they're kind of in league with that whole Royal Oak Nautilus theme, that sporty dressy watch. Um, however, in this case, it is made of steel, but there are only 12 pieces and it costs a whopping $178,000. Um, so kind of like your first, uh, watch RJ, although that was like two and a half times more expensive. This is also a watch that will never be, uh, on my wrist. So, but it, but it looks gorgeous. You never, you never know. Yeah. You, you do never know, but, uh, <laughs> but, but probably not. And, um, but I, I just really like the look of it.
1: Um, yeah, they make beautiful, they make beautiful watches. It's really stunning. The, the finish is uh, sublime. And, um, it speaks to me more than a lot of the, the other perhaps more established hotel locherie brands out there um, that, that make watches in, in that same price category. Um, yeah.
0: They're more classic somehow. I mean, yeah. a lot of those folks go to the really avant-garde, which I appreciate, but I probably, I mean, that's really when you have everything times five, I think when you get into those types of watches. Um, yeah. But you know, my, my only uh, tough point with uh, Ferrier watches because they make kind of a um, kind of a tonneau case, or uh, it's actually not tonneau; it's more of like a, a rounded uh, square, I guess. And it's beautiful, but um, bigger than I would have thought. I think it's like forty-two or forty-three millimeters, which maybe I'd have to try it on. It's it's more reasonable than 178,000, but but still not an inexpensive watch, but their watches are large. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. a little bit of a surprise for, 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 uh, for me, but, but that's okay. Um, my second watch also happens to be large. Um, it is the Panerai 1663. This is, um, the Luminor Marina Fibrotech 44 and <clears throat> This is sort of a um, companion piece to the one you mentioned because it also has a blue dial, Uh, but it's made up of what Panerai calls fiber tech, and um, it's got a basalt-based composite case, which um, if you know anything about metals, um, basalt is what's mined in order to uh, extract aluminum so i guess that's um the reason why it's 60% lighter than steel um very corrosion resistant uh, i like the look it's uh, kind of got like a i don't know you could almost call it like a little bit of a damascus blade look um with the waves and the sort of the lines running through the case but it but i think it looks classy it doesn't look gimmicky and yeah this this one is um not a limited edition you know, the case on this one versus some of their other releases is thicker. It's like fifteen point six five millimeters, whereas the mm-hmm. other ones I think are around um fourteen point two. So so that is one concern. Um but you know, three hundred meters of water resistance. It's using the in house ninety ten and um yeah, it comes in at sixteen thousand euros, which is nothing to sniff at. But um I think it's a pretty watch. I really do. I, I Again, I like what they're doing. So, double win for Panerai. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of a surprise. I mean, but you know, you grew up uh, sort of one of your early entries into to watches was Panerai, And um, I was the same. I mean, I still own a couple of them and um, I like them. I like them. I like them.
1: Yeah, I have to admit that I sold uh, sold them, um, but I wouldn't mind buying uh, a Panerai back at some time, at some point. And I have to say, the more often that I look, through, uh, look at them, my choice would be towards a submersible.
0: Yeah, they're cool. Really cool.
1: And uh, perhaps an older one, but uh, I really, uh, yeah, like in 2003 or 2004, when I purchased my first one, I was more in favor of the Luminar case, but now I would say Submersible um, looks pretty good.
0: Yeah, I, I think they're really nice. I mean, it's a really good looking dive watch. Um, somehow keeps the Panerai aesthetic, but, you know, doesn't go over the top with all kinds of glitzy details. They, they integrated it well when they came out with the Submersible. And yeah. I um, I always wanted the uh, the original fitty, as it were. And uh, yeah. it's just too big for me. And... I forget the model number that they came out with about seven or eight years ago that they still make. Um, And it's uh, I think it uses the 1950 case, but it's got the acrylic um, crystal and hand wound. And I think I was in, um, geez, I'm not going to remember which German city I was in, um, but might've been Nuremberg or something. And I went to uh, Panerai AD and I tried it on and it just completely overhung my uh, wrist. I, I just, there was no, there was no squinting, no angle. I could sort of convince myself that it fit and oh, well, but 44 millimeter, I guess I would just have to try. So Yeah. So so moving on um what happened a little bit prior to watches and wonders was the uh the release from a few Bar- days before yeah. yeah a few days before um Breitling came out with their new releases uh for the year and they actually had three three releases and we're going to talk about two of them yeah. um and they did it through a webcast yeah which um this was really at the very beginning of the whole lockdown thing and Needless to say, a lot of countries and service providers hadn't amped up their um, their server capacity, seemingly, or their bandwidth because um, it was a bit of a bit of a tough thing to uh, to watch it live. But it's okay; you could kind of go back and watch it five minutes later, and it was fine. And it was actually it was, it was pretty good. And um, you know, the first watch uh, we we won't spend much time, but but just for your knowledge, it came out with a 35 millimeter um what they call a, a Nava timer, which is a time-only watch, um, that they are marketing more towards um the ladies, uh females. And really good looking watch. Um I, I suppose at some point we may cover that. Karina may cover that. But we wanted to spend um, a bit of time on uh the Super Ocean and the Chronomat. And I think we'll start with the Chronomat because that's most certainly the um the more mass appeal release and I think one that, you know, a lot of people were really surprised by pleasantly. And it's a return, I think, to the, um, is it the uh, Schneider days of Breitling? Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Theodore Schneider.
0: So... A lot of people remember Breitling in the, uh, the 80s and 90s and uh, the Chronomat was a was a very popular watch and it was famous uh, for a number of reasons. It had kind of these, what they call riders on its bezel, these uh, like four, Rider tabs. Yeah, these tabs yeah. that you could switch out and make it a count up or countdown bezel. And um, and then the Rouleau bracelet, did I say that right, RJ? Rouleau, Rouleau. yeah. So That watch-
1: Brings me back to my time uh, being a student and um, watching Seinfeld.
0: Ah, um, uh, yeah, yeah.
1: A lot. And yeah. he was wearing one. He was wearing, a, I think, a chrono mat with a rouleau bracelet. And uh, somehow I connect that watch very much to um, uh, with um, Jerry Seinfeld.
0: Okay. So so for Americans, um, the word rouleau doesn't mean anything. Um, so... What's really typical over here in Europe, and I mean, if you've ever visited Europe at night, you've seen it, or from a closed store, uh, a lot of people have these roll-down uh, window coverings that they put in to black out uh, the room or provide some security, and the bracelet on the uh, Chronomat during that period was was very much like that. And it's very distinctive, very cool, um, and and it's back, so... Um,
1: It's sometimes also referred to as a bullet bracelet, which I also can imagine, but perhaps it has a bit of a negative tone towards it.
0: Yeah, that's fair, because the ends of um, each link are rounded, kind of like the the nose of a bullet. So, you know, that makes sense, probably um, to to some other parts of the world. But, um, you know, the the original uh, ChronoMAT was powered by a 7750. And what we saw the other day is the, um, the release with the, uh, in-house b one movement. Um, the watch comes in at 42 millimeters, which is actually really, really nice. I mean, if we were talking Breitling four or five years ago, this would have been 44 or 45 millimeters. And, um, I think most interestingly, they came out with the, uh, tricolore, limited edition of only 250 pieces. And that was a really famous, or it's a, it is now a really famous piece um, that collectors really enjoy. And they seem to enjoy this new one because it, it was snapped up very quickly. And in fact, our uh, our own Ben Hodges uh, picked one up uh, over in the UK. It just came in actually today. Um, and it looks lovely. It really does. So give, give me your thoughts on this one, RJ, because I think you have... Um, kind of a stronger connection to this uh to these watches and and certainly some history around them.
1: Yeah, that I don't know. It's mainly for my youth and when I when I started started collecting watches and becoming more interested in watches the the Breitling was of course on the radar and Breitling is very popular in the Netherlands. It's it it was and it still is. And um not always in a very positive way perhaps due, due to the audience, but um Normally, I would say it is a, a brand that is, yeah, um, quite established here and and people think uh, think highly of. Um, I like the chrono mat with the with the rouleau bracelet a lot. Uh, they have a, a few different variations, um, and um, I re- I have to say I really like it. And um, there's also a gold steel model, which is good to to be there because I think that's perhaps even the the, the version that I would associate the the chronomat with rouleau bracelets uh, most with to be in two tone and um but the tricolore version for me is the is the one if i had to order one that would be the one yeah. it's limited to only 250 pieces and although 250 pieces is is not that low considering the price point of these watches i mean that's quite a quite a thing i think they they could have easily doubled that number
0: yeah yeah i'm with you and in- you know, they were sold out immediately, but sold out, you know, kind of means allocated to the markets. And and Ben actually ordered one on the the Breitling site in the UK, and um, and as you mentioned, it arrived. Um, you know, I I think this watch was a really was and is a really important thing for Breitling. It's it's clearly, I mean, if if a starting price of seventy nine hundred euros is a volume watch, then okay, take take that. Um, you know, in proportion, but it's, it's a big deal for them and it's, it's, it is a big seller for them historically. And frankly, I think the, the last Chronomat had definitely run its course. Um, there's a lot of familiarity or similarity to the, uh, to the Avenger. And I think this really sets it apart. Um, and I think it gives them a really competitive, uh, piece to, you know, whether it's Omega, whether it's, I mean, some people would even say to, to some degree at Daytona and I, I think it's a really solid, solid, uh, release. It, it definitely is going to make them, um, yeah, more than just a, a walk by when, when people go by the boutique, mm-hmm. if they're, if they're looking for, a a high-end chronograph for, or a sporty chronograph. And I, yeah. I like the sizing. I like the unique case, the pushers, the dial choices. And, and yeah, pricing, as we mentioned, starts at 7,900. It's like 8950 for the two-tone on trap on uh strap. And then what did I see? Eleven six on two-tone bracelet and then 19 K for solid gold on strap. So yeah. I, I think yeah it's not little money but it's sort of market correct for for what a what a brand like Breitling um yeah. plays in so I agree.
1: Uh, ben Hodges he wrote a really really nice um, article on uh on the new Chronomat uh, uh collection um April 16 I will put in a, a link in the in the show notes and he also included like the original like a, a folder or a advertisement um guess it's from the 80s, I'm not sure, um, where you can see the, the original Breitling Chrono mats with rouleau bracelets. And um, there, the two-tone one was 2,490 Deutschmarks, which um, would now be around 1,200 euros. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, there's inflation and things. and uh, uh, But I also think that the product is really different. I remember those those original chronomats with rouleau bracelets, and the caps fell off. There was something something with the bracelet. There were not the best bracelets out there. But I think with the with the new one, what I saw and what uh, Ben he shot us some uh, some pictures of his uh, his tricolore purchase today, and um, it looks really solid. It looks really well made. Yeah. And it it perhaps it's not everyone's taste or style, but it, it doesn't need to be, and the uh, chronomat was never uh, a watch for everyone. Um, it's a distinctive taste, and uh, it's only for, it's it's not for everyone, and that's good, I think. And um, the new one with the new bracelet looks looks very enhanced and nice, and and uh, quality wise, um, even from the pictures, it looks already better than what it was what it used to be in the in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that said. I really like the, the pictures of the old ones and I wouldn't even mind buying an old one, um, um, in the, on the pre-owned market because I think you, you can find one for a decent price and it's a really fun watch to have. Yeah. I think it's a historical, also an important watch. You saw them everywhere and it was a, I think a good seller for Breitling at the time. And I hope it will be a good seller, uh, now again as well.
0: Yeah. No, I, th- I, th- I think it'll do well. I mean, we got a lot of feedback on it and, um, in general, it seems to be positive. So, so yeah, so the next watch, um, the one we'll spend a few minutes on here is, is one that's really kind of near and dear to me, but, uh, was a bit more controversial. And I, I just have to say kind of before we go into it, um, I mean, I'm really, really pleased that Breitling released this watch because I don't think it was, was a, a simple decision, but, um, that's the Breitling Super Ocean Heritage 57. And um, let me get a couple things out of the way because I think it's important. Um, you know, look, the the internet and and commenting on various watch sites or Instagram is, it's sort of like a, a free country. Yeah, people can say whatever they want. If they like something, they don't like something, that's fine. Um, but I saw consistently um, people here or on other sites referring to the Rado Captain Cook when they saw this watch. And I mean, I can tell you one thing if you're at all interested in watch history. Um, this watch was actually a thing back in the in 1957. Um, the Rado Captain Cook was a thing in the late 50s, early 60s. Um, and the only thing it really has in common is it's got sort of this uh, inward sloping concave uh, bezel, but yeah. I, once you get away from that, there there is really not much similarity. Um, the
1: no, but it's a it's a identification for people or something that they can identify as they or as they recognize. And I, I remember the same thing. I don't know if you were already there when. Omega introduced the uh, the globemaster in Basel mm. where everyone said, Oh just, a digest yeah. because of the fluted bezel, and if you put the i have both i have a digest, I have a globemaster put them together it's it has nothing to do with with each other, yep, yeah. and that might be the same case here
0: yeah i I think it is i mean it's clearly a distinctive uh design element and and yeah, people are drawn to that, and of course, Sorato costs um, much less than a Breitling, so that so that comes up as well. But in any case, this is a um, this is kind of a I wouldn't call it a reissue, but it's certainly inspired by by that watch from nineteen fifty seven. And you know, it, it is a a very rare watch, the original one. I am fortunate to have spent some time with one, just hanging out with uh, Fred Mandelbaum a few times for dinner, and it is one of my favorite kind of niche designs um historically it's so different the case is beautifully sculpted the bezel is just wild and yeah it was not it was around for a year or two it really wasn't around for long and then they sort of followed it up briefly with a with a chronograph version that was also not around for a long time and these watches are incredibly expensive normally in terrible condition because yeah watches of that age let water in and um I'm really pleased that they came out with this because I can tell you that I remember seeing some early prototype designs of this watch and they were essentially going to use a um a much bigger case um the bezel was good but it was it was really I would call it a lightly warmed over attempt at coming up with something in the Super Ocean 57 um you know, something with that design heritage, this is far Mm -hmm. closer, but it's been modernized size wise. So, you know, what's kind of cool here is that the watch itself is 38 millimeters in diameter and the bezel diameter is 42. So, you know, you need to let that sink in a little bit and realize that the bezel just owns this watch, which is actually one of the really, really cool properties of it and makes it very, very different than other things. Um, I really like. Question for
1: you. Yeah. What do you think of the the rainbow version? Um, yeah, the limited edition. Not
0: my thing. <laughs> um, but they sold out immediately, and um, we've been. C-
1: Did uh, Bert
0: order one? I doubt it.
1: It's a typical Bert watch.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, it it it's gone, and um, in fact, I think they were a little bit surprised by it. Um, so. Yeah.
1: I mean it's interesting to see and I think it's um I think daring to 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 order one basically and uh if someone did well kudos to him or her
0: I think our friend Patrick it's a, it's a nice piece. I think our friend Patrick ordered one actually. Okay. Truly. Well
1: suits him. Truly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um yeah they only made um 250 of those and they were basically gone right away. Um and it was I think priced at yeah whether you picked it on Strap or mesh, only 180 euros more than the normal stainless model. So mm-hmm. pretty small premium. Um, yeah, these start at um, just a hair above Four, 4,100 4,100 euros. or something. Huh? Yeah. yeah. And you can get it with a black dial, a blue dial. And then there's a uh, bicolor version as well that starts at, um, I believe, 5,400 euros. And I'll be honest with you, I ordered one of these. So... Cool. Yeah. I ordered uh, the black one on mesh. I kind of strangely haven't really bought a watch in a while. Um, now, when I say a while, um, that's a while for me. Just so it's it's relative, but
1: over three weeks, people. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but no, I, I, you know, I really like to see what, um, you know, I, I, I try to pick something um, every year from from the shows that, that that I really like. And this really jumped out at me. And I'm just really very happy they did it. It's part of a capsule collection, which means it's not limited, but they're essentially going to make it um, probably until they think the demand has, uh, has been fulfilled. So let's see. I, I should get it sometime next month. And yeah, excited about it. No date on it. Yeah, it uses a, an EDA 2892 that's... Um, chronometer certified so some people complained about that but it's like less than Why? it's a good movement it's a good movement 92. yeah it keeps the watch less than 10 millimeters thick um it does not have a screw down crown so uh there was some complaining about that and the 100 meters of water resistance but to be very honest i think it's double sealed and it's going to be plenty enough for my uh my explorations in the uh in the swimming pool, should I get to one anytime this summer? So, yeah,
1: yeah, I noticed some some complaining around that, and uh, it's a lot of complaining for people that uh, do a lot of desk diving mm-hmm. and uh, not real diving. I I get it. I mean, if you want a diving watch, it it should have some some certain features that you perhaps expect from a watch. But yeah, given given the the history of this watch, and that is a, a release from uh, from from fifty seven. I think in that perspective it it makes sense to be hundred meters and it doesn't need to have a um, screw down crown, yeah um,
0: but I but overall, you know those were you know I think Brightling kind of kept it like uh, long a they kept it tight with a few releases yeah, and that's good yeah, it's allowed people to put some attention on them and really go a little more deeply into considering them and and what they really think um, obviously. Well, I guess here in Germany, things like uh, some some boutiques are open um, if they're smaller stores. So people should is Chibo open? Open? Chibo never closes here, RJ. Okay. Well, except for Sorry Sunday. Sorry for asking. Except for Sunday.
1: Yeah, but yeah, everything is closed on Sunday <laughs> in Germany.
0: <laughs> but yeah, people should be able to get out and see these things in the in the in the metal soon enough. But uh, yeah, it was good yeah. good year, I think, for them and you know, the right kind of releases for, for this period. So overall, good I agree. stuff.
1: I agree. I think more good stuff is coming from these brands and also from brands that haven't shown much yet. Uh, I just today, well, I saw them uh, like uh, uh, mid-March. Was, I think one of the last, that was actually the last trip I had to a watch brand was to Longines. Mm-hmm. They showed us uh, the entire collection and embargo for this year. And they have some amazing stuff coming up. Cool. And um, I just got a, an email from them that uh, they will soon start to uh, to roll out the first models, and it looks really promising. And um, I hope some other brands will will follow as well. And um, yeah, there's kind of it, uh,
0: kind of a big uh, elephant in the room who hasn't. Uh, it There's a big yet. elephant
1: in the room, and I hope we we can go past it and uh, yeah, have some good stuff uh, coming our way and um, that we can show to our readers. And um, well, Longines is one of them. Uh, Hamilton has some good stuff coming up as well, and um, I'm very curious to see the new Speedmaster that commemorates Apollo 13 in October. So, yeah, some so I, I guess some good stuff is coming um, from Rolex. I received an email uh, last week um, that they postponed, of course, as everyone knows. But a lot of people f- seem to think that they will postpone all releases for 2020 and move to 2021 but that has not been set Mm. yet so they postponed until further notice and that notice can be perfectly well still be 2020
0: sure yeah are they are they up and running at this point or not yet
1: i heard that Tudor is still closed. The manufacture and Rolex. I read somewhere that they reopened, but perhaps they are also still closed. I don't know. From Tudor, I know they are closed. So uh... my guess would be that Rolex is the same because they're more or less in the same building.
0: Okay, because I have you know I ordered um, both a white and a black steel Daytona and the Pepsi, and apparently next week they're all coming in.
1: Cool. Do we have a time capsule? (laughs) Well, yeah, that's the thing with Rolex. We discussed that uh, a lot, but still people are really looking forward to see what they have up their sleeves. And
0: um, yeah, I mean, if they make people, if, uh, if they're postponing, I I guess that uh, the anticipation will only grow. Right. So
1: I think so. In the past there were clever guys that looked up um uh, registrations in the the, the patent offices. Yep. And I think that would that unveiled for example the sky dweller more or less before the introduction of Baselworld. Yeah. Yeah. And um well, I didn't look up, look it up myself, but if you want you can go to the website of the patent office and uh, look up some registrations done by Rolex, but my brother-in-law he works at the European Patent Office mm. in Rijswijk that's a suburb of The Hague and um he told me they have a an entire department um dedicated to watch uh, uh patents oh okay and they're looking for people i heard so huh. well might be interested in, in going there no but they have a, like a dedicated team of people doing all these patents for watches so it's really a big thing and um, they spend a lot of time um, they're looking at watches and 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 innovations and constructions, basically. Yeah. So something is definitely happening. But uh, yeah, you you can look it up. You can look up if Rolex uh, filed a, a patent and also other brands if they uh, they did something.
0: Maybe the news. Maybe the new Rolex smartwatch is coming.
1: Yeah. Who knows? Who knows?
0: Well. Cool. All right. So I think that um, that kind of brings us to the end of the content, but uh I'll, I'll turn it over to you, RJ, just to mention a little bit about what we're doing on Friday afternoons and if there's anything else you want to end with here. No, that's good. Go ahead. Yeah. So every Friday afternoon, one of us joins uh, Balash in a uh, in kind of a chat that uh, in a live chat that you're welcome to join. So what time do we kick those off? I'm not even sure.
1: Five thirty 30 uh, central european time okay so that's dutch time or german time and um Balaz, she, um talks to one of the the editors of our team and uh, uh an hour long and uh, it's very very interesting you can join the, the chat and ask questions or uh, give comments on their clothing or <laughs> flowers that you see in the background but it's yeah it's really nice i've been on the first one and last week was uh, ben which was a really nice episode as well
0: yeah i think i go on june 5th which felt like a really long time away when i signed up but it's uh it's a few weeks out so i will have to do my best to figure out something interesting to talk about but i can also put that pressure on Balash to make him ask some interesting questions
1: Exactly, and that you already uh, chose an opening tune because Balash is asking everyone to have an opening tune, music. Hmm. And later on, we compile it in a Spotify list. Oh, I shall do that.
0: Okay. Good. Good. All right. Well. Well, thanks, thanks for listening. Yeah, episode 15 is a wrap. And sorry, we've been so long. We will uh, do our best to come back much sooner. And, and now so. And yeah, if you've got uh, questions, I mean, as mentioned, it's been a while, so maybe you've thought of some things or want us to cover something, please feel free to let us know. You can uh, hit us up uh, via Instagram. I'm on Mike in Frankfurt and RJ's RJ Brewer or via the Fortello feed, or you can send it to our email address, which is info at Fratello.com. There you go. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.